Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 77. Glad you could join us. Today, academic advisor Celeste Cuellar returns to the Colby Cast to discuss non college paths for students after graduation. Of course, religious vocations, military service, and trades are discussed, but our conversation inevitably turns to the importance of discerning one's own personal vocation and becoming the person God made us to be. We hope you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. And this is Stephen homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. A few episodes back, we ventured into the great beyond that is life after Colby. That conversation continues today with the wise and experienced voice of Colby Academy's Dean of Students 9th through 12th, Celeste Cuellar, a longtime advisor and teacher who first appeared on Colby Cast episode 12, Phone a Friend, which we'll link in the show notes. Welcome back to the Colby Cast, Celeste. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Celeste, it's lovely to have you with us. Thank you. In episode 59, The Secret Whiteboard, which we will link in the show notes, Everett Bayarski underscored the necessity of students and families undertaking a discernment process to determine what life after Colby might look like, at least for the near term. He gave us a lot of good food for thought in that episode. Celeste has vast wisdom and experience counseling students in this same season of life. So Celeste, would you take us through how you approach these conversations with students and parents? Sure. So one of the things I need to give credit for is that a few years back, I watched one of the webinars that Everett did, and he talked about something that I had never, an approach that I had never considered before. He said, it's not just what you do next, but you know, what God is calling you to in the broader experience of your life. I and pretty direct, and I just asked them, so, you know, throughout the, the prayer time that they've spent on this issue, um, is that what they feel, you know, they feel totally confident that that's what God is calling their child to? And then there's often a pause, <laughs> uh, which I understand, because as a parent and a grandparent, I know what it's like to make plans for those little people in your life Mm -hmm. and that feeling of knowing what's best for them and how hard it can be to give that up, even for a good thing. So Mm -hmm. when it comes to talking to parents about life after high school, parents often don't feel like there is any really other valid option. It's it's college or nothing. Well, I didn't grow up in that kind of generation. Um, Virtually none of my close high school friends went to college, the girls, and a number of the boys didn't either. My parents didn't go to college. My grandmother was a teacher, but she graduated high school and became a teacher. And then much later, when she was in her 50s, I think, she went to some, you know, 10-month-long teaching certificate program or something. But it just wasn't the norm. So that's part of what forms my perspective. And the other part of it is that looking back on my own experiences, I joined the military very early, and then I took an extended amount of time to, to finish school. 
I felt like God was directing my path the whole way, despite my best efforts to, uh, you know, (laughs) row my own ship. (laughs) He was right there. (laughs) And so I think now all of those experiences I had, they have definitely, you know, made me who I am. Some of them positive, some not. But I don't know that my college experience was the was the pivotal experience. And I think that some of the jobs I've held that have really influenced me were jobs that I could have done regardless of my educational background. Mm-hmm. Not all of them. Some of them, I did need that. So when parents talk to me about a gap year, which is what often comes up, that's another entry level point for a conversation about, you know, what does that mean um, that your student's going to take a gap year? They don't know what they want to do with their lives. Well, welcome to reality because, you know, as my daughter has said to me, you know, when am I going to figure out what I'm doing with my life? I said, well, (laughs) I'm 20 years older than you are and I don't know yet. So when I do find (laughs) out, I'll let you know. It's an ongoing process. It's an ongoing discernment in our lives. So maybe college is not the first thing after high school. That's fine. You can call it a gap year if there's a plan. If there's a plan for, I'm going to go be a volunteer. Um, my husband did this. He was a volunteer at a diocese. He, he got $80 a month and a bus pass, and he lived in a rectory. So they gave him room and board. But he did that because he felt like something was missing from his life and he wanted to explore some options. So that to me was a true gap year. But a gap year should be more than just, I got a job at the local fast food place and I'm living my life except I don't do classes anymore. That, that's, not, that's not really a gap year. Um, a gap year is a time of, or should be, a time of discernment, a time of investigating other things that you might be interested in, things that don't fit into a traditional you know, okay, you're off to college and you're an undergrad and you've got to take this, these classes involved. You know, it, it, it's a time of, of exploration career-wise. And um, whether that happens living at home or living in an apartment and supporting yourself, all of that, it still needs to be a thought-filled time. So if the student is not going to take a gap year and they do have a plan, you know, it, it might be something more specific. And that's usually means that the parents and the student have given it some thought and, and they're, they're interested in something, you know, that they want to check out. Um, because to, for too many people, I think college has fallen into that, I don't know what else to do, so I, I'm going to go to college. Mm-hmm. What else is there to do? Like the default. Yeah. When, when I've talked to some young adults, oftentimes they seem fairly lost themselves as far as and what what direction they should be going or, or what actually they feel called to do because they're still usually fairly early in their vocation process. So I tend to tell them, think like, think back to what you wanted to be when you were young and, and kind of go through that process going up. But what are some of the things you talk about with the, with the students to kind of get them or the, the parents to, to help them figure out what their, that vocation might 
be leaning to or so one of the things i like to remind parents is that god doesn't require saints to be smart or to have a college degree <laughs> um <laughs> and i like to cite uh St. John Vianney and um, St. Joseph Cupertino, who were neither one known for their intellect, but obviously known for their sanctity. So, you know, in reminding parents that smart people can be incredibly evil and wicked, it, it, so that's no guarantee of salvation. And, and if, we don't, if we don't get to heaven, it, it's all for naught. You know, yeah. years and years ago, I won't say how many of <laughs> um, I used to watch uh, this one animated show. And, and there's an episode where a, a nuclear bomb is going to explode. It was a comic thing. And the, the one guy looks at himself and he says, I wasted my life. Yes, that moment of realization hits all of us at some point. Hopefully it's not at the brink of death, you know. Um, yeah, right. But, but parents are often, it's often difficult to help them understand that, um, for instance, you know, college is not one of the Ten Commandments, and so perhaps we shouldn't <laughs> elevate it to that level. Um, we should be looking at, how can my child gain heaven? How can my child be a saint, recognized or not? And that, for me... It's sort of like what you just said, Stephen. What did they feel drawn to? What did they really like to do that they had a, a big interest in? And then they grew up and they gave up the idea of being a paleontologist or an astronaut. But those things might still be possible. And if they still feel a calling to that, that they're drawn to it and they're strongly interested in it, I always, I think of a little Venn diagram, what you like to do, what you're good at, and what you feel called to. And that's the spot where God is saying, I gave you those gifts to use. <laughs> I gave yeah. them yep. to you. I want them right. to use, you to use them for, you know, the advancement of my kingdom. Mm -hmm. And it could be something as minor as, Honestly, being a, a greeter at Walmart, I think about the famous saints who've been porters. Yeah, yeah, great example. It seems like sometimes as Catholics, we just get to start thinking that salvation is hard in, in some respects. And so not looking at that, well, you know, God has that plan and that he's made you. So he made you mm -hmm. for those things. So thinking like for me, thinking about what Mother Teresa did is like that would be horrible for me. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's, I mean, clearly I'm called to help somebody who's in a ditch or whatever, right. or it needs help, yes. but that's not my life. Right. That, I, that's not what God made me to do. So I love that. I love that awareness of that. I like the Venn diagram. <laughs> Something sort of, you know, that helps, you know, categorize things. I, I like that. Um, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, yeah. I think, you know, Mother Teresa is a great example. You think about Mother Teresa and Pope St. John Paul II the Great, right? They were contemporaries. I just watched a video again the other day where they interacted and I was crying because it's like, oh my gosh. But I thought, okay, he was this incredible intellectual. 
but that's not what she was known for. But she's not a lesser saint than he is. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, in fact, in many ways, I think she's more approachable to a lot of us. I don't want to do what she did either, <laughs> but yeah. but I think maybe we can understand it more because it's more of a practical life instead of, you know, the academia kind of of uh, sainthood. Well, not that John Paul II wasn't a saint for a lot of other reasons, too. Mm-hmm. But I, I really encourage parents to just open their eyes to these kinds of things. And, and in some cases, to listen to their children. Your child is telling you they think they have a vocation to the priesthood, but you're not sure. And so you're telling them they should go to college first and figure it out. And I'm thinking, okay, but maybe, <laughs> maybe you should pray about that one more <laughs> because... You know, God does call some people very early in life. I mean, I knew I wanted to be a teacher from the time I was a little girl. And when I got older, I thought, oh, I never want to be a teacher. That's not at all what I want to do. But you cannot escape (laughs) certain things that that God has instilled in you. And they come out. And so um, while I'm not currently a teacher, I spent many years as a as a teacher in various circumstances all of them designed to allow me to avoid having to do regular grading that was kind of a key aspect for me <laughs> I, I didn't like that that part of it i think that i think that's great how you're pointing out that the things that we are interested in the things we're drawn to those are most likely many of them a lot of them not all of them probably planted within us god has given us those interests and those gifts you had mentioned that in some of our preparations for this episode. Could you say more about that? That's eye-opening, I think. If we come from the mindset of what do I want to do or what do I want to be? Well, let's, if we look at it differently, mm-hmm. what what are we interested in? What are we good at? Where does that come from? So let's hear some more about that. So one of the things that I got interested in um, fairly early on, I guess, and then even more so after, because I, I did go to graduate school and I have a master's in counseling and I worked at a, at a therapy center for about three years in private practice, I got very interested in um, personality and uh, in particular in the Myers-Briggs temperament indicator. Um, I find it fascinating that this mother and daughter, who were obviously Christians because they named their book Gifts Differing, and the quotation on the inside is from Romans where it talks about gifts differing, even though nothing in the book ever alludes to that. But I'm like, well, you don't call your book a Christian title derived from a piece of scripture, if you know. But what I discovered in doing that, taking that assessment test, was that it explained me to myself in a way that I had never, you know, I know a lot of us, I, I'm particularly prone to this, I think. I think, oh, I, I'm very self-aware. You know, I took that test. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so what helps me was then identifying that even though I was quite different uh, than my parents and my brother, that there wasn't something wrong with me, that I was just different, and, and it sort of explained it to me. And then I looked at, and now I'm not going to remember the name of the book, of course, but it's a, it was authored by Monsignor uh, Michael Chester, and it's all about how Catholic spirituality is and ties in with 
the Myers-Briggs temperament indicator. Um, and then that was interesting to me as well. And then I, I went on a retreat where we talked about that exact thing. So once I had a little bit more knowledge about myself, I started looking into career counseling ideas. And I came across a book called Do What You Are. And Do What You Are pointed out that all the career counseling advice you normally get is not based on who you are as a person and on what you find fulfilling. And so they gave this list for every one of the 16 temperament types, jobs that would give you fulfillment, what you were looking for in a job. And so then I could look at that and I could say, even though I've had this wide variety of jobs, they all have these common strains. Oh, okay, again, so more validation that in fact, this is, you know, God made me this way. And what can I do then to, you know, best use those, those gifts. But to offset the subjective nature of the Myers-Briggs, I like to use something, um, I, I did this in high school, both of you might have done this in high school, you take some sort of career assessment test, um, the Campbell or, you know, the strong um, Holland self-directed search, something like that. And that's when I discovered, and I think Stephen and I talked about this at another time, that the Department of Labor has this great website where um, you take a version of the Strong Campbell um, interest inventory, and it's strictly based on what you like to do. Okay. So you can lie about that, and then you're going to get a bad result. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's really a, as objective as it can be. You know, on a scale of one to five, uh, I would like to uh, create a new computer language. I'm like, mm, zero. Okay. And then, you know. <laughs> negative negative four. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so so no. once you take that, then it pops up all of these various jobs based on the occupational handbook. And it tells you these jobs are a great fit for what you said you like to do. And so I took that list and I looked at the jobs and then I looked at the things that my, my temperament says I enjoy, you know, what do I enjoy in work? And then I saw where they connected because some of the things that yeah. apparently some of the things I picked that I said I'd like to do, like, oh, I would never want that job. It didn't, it didn't sound good to me at all. So, so there's some investigation that has to go on. And realistically, by the time a student is about 16, um, they should have a pretty good idea of what they like and don't like. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I think sophomore year is a good time to start exploring that. It can be useful for parents to do these things themselves so that they have a, an understanding of it. And then to also look at the results that their kids get and see, yeah. you know, it, it, they're just tools, but they're tools to help clarify some things. And, and there's lots of other spiritual things that can be done too. Um, but those aren't things I tend to talk to our parents about because most of them know a lot of those things. They're, they're aware of them. And sometimes they tend to shy away from things that, um, psychological things in particular sometimes feels a little, you know, uncomfortable. 
And that's why I like Myers-Briggs because I do point out this mother and daughter were obviously Christian. You know, there's what, what yeah. what's happened with it since then. I, I haven't seen it being, you know, abused and used in weird ways. So, Mm-hmm. So that's a starting point, I think. Yeah. And like you, Celeste, I, I loved the Myers-Briggs when I was first uh, introduced to that. And that kind of led me down to something called the Highlands Ability Battery Test, which we talked about briefly. And again, that was something developed by uh, a man named Johnson O'Connor back in the 1930s for GE, trying to put people in the right place in the company. And it's a, it's just completely, largely a skills, well, not a skills, it's an ability-based mm-hmm. So just what God gave you, basically. And uh, I love adding that. And again, things like that can connect to the ONET site. Mm -hmm. So I know we'll talk about that later on, (laughs) too. But uh, there's great resources out there for some of that uh, discernment. Right. Stephen, will you give us some more scoop on your expertise in this area? Because you you have a vast treasure of knowledge helping people, guiding them through similar uh, steps. So my my experience comes at a different level because as I was kind of running an office and hiring people, I hired a lot of graduates right out of Catholic colleges. And so for them, I was bringing them oftentimes into an entry-level position sort of, sort of thing. And, you know, they had great education and they were ready to, to do God's will, but they didn't know, I mean, liberal arts backgrounds didn't really know which direction they should be headed. So, you know, as a Catholic employer, then the goal for me really was, how do I help these people figure out where they should be going? So, you know, we would do some of the Myers-Briggs and I'd ask them to kind of go back and think about what is it they've been passionate about and what is it that they've wanted to do? So, yeah, like I said, going back and thinking about what what did I want to be when I was a child and how did that change over the years? Um, but that's when I was started to delve into some of these other resources like the, the Highlands Ability Battery or one of the other Johnson O'Connor sort of created created things. But because, you know, selfishly, even as an employer, you, you think, you know, God has created somebody to do a particular something. And I've seen people who have found their vocations and are living out their lives and the effects, the, their outcomes are beyond natural. And the energy that they approach that with is just incredible. They, they're nonstop because they're doing what they were made to do and they love it. So it's like if I can put somebody in a position where they're doing what God made them to do, or if I can help them find that so they can move off and find that joy, that excitement, and that success that they will have, I mean, that's that's the most important thing. Even if I lose at that point, even if I lost a good employee, it's like, mm-hmm. good, I'll, I'll give you whatever I can give you along the way, but yeah, go do what God made you to do. That's, that's going to be the exciting part. I think that generosity is so uh, refreshing. It is, I think for a lot of us, maybe many of our listeners, it is just so far from their own experience of <laughs> just approaching work and life and everything with, from that perspective or being or being treated that way by their employer i think that it's just amazing so now's a good segue for me to say i'm i'm gonna quit colby no <laughs> <laughs> you're not allowed to do that so <laughs> I mean, colby for me is has been that place because it has so many avenues you know but 
Mm-hmm. This didn't exist when I was in high school. So I couldn't have discerned that this was my path because it wasn't here. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's yep. an important thing to remember too when we're talking about, you know, future ideas. I mean, I think the average person now has like three different careers as opposed to, you know, my father and my father-in-law, they, they had one. Mm-hmm. They retired from those places and that was it. Yeah. So. it. It seems like God uses those things both to kind of give you an experience of, or maybe give you the tools you need to later do what it is that you, you are, to, are supposed to be doing. Well, and also to help you discern, it seems like, like as well. So it, again, when I would advise people, I'd say, you know, if, even if it's an entry-level job, you know it's not what you want to do for the rest of your life. Give it everything you've got while you're there because God puts you into that position for a specific reason. Yes. And you can either grow from it or you can waste that time and be miserable right. thinking this mm-hmm. isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. But Yeah, right. It's biding time until whatever, mm-hmm. what I really want to do comes along right. or something. Yeah. And missing a lot of opportunity in the meantime. Yes. Sometimes we make missteps in our career paths and what we choose. And uh, not to speak poorly about my parents, but my mom didn't feel that I was ready for college. And she strongly encouraged me to go into the military which I did when I was 17. I was able to enlist in uh, the National Guard, and then I left high school early. And I can still remember that fateful day when I would have been home graduating, and instead I was in basic training cleaning my M16, thinking, oh my gosh, (laughs) what am I done? (laughs) But in fact, what happened with me in the military, I, I, because I was National Guard, I put in a few more months and then I went back home and I went to college and I decided it wasn't working. And then I went active duty in the military. <laughs> so, um, so it's, it is fascinating. I mean, I, I come from a really strong military family. My husband is one of seven and uh, five of them have, have served. Uh, you know, wow. my son-in-law is, active duty and I mean we're just surrounded in cousins and nephews and uncles and you know all of that but while I did not think that the military was a good good fit for me overall at that point in my life I got the opportunity to do something I would have never done before I was a you know girl from North Dakota or North Dakota as I used to say (laughs) and um, they tested me and said you you're good at languages. Well, see, mm. I didn't know that because in high school, and this is part of the problem with our curriculum, right? If we don't explore, we don't know. Mm-hmm. So I took one year of French. I was miserable. Yeah. And I never took, never touched another foreign language. Well, then they tell me, oh, you're good at foreign languages. So I am? Okay. Um, <laughs> so I spend the next year studying Korean, six hours a day, five days a week. Um, wow. I ended up with the equivalent of three years of college Korean when I got out. And then I got to spend three years living in Japan. I visited Korea a couple times. Um, and, and those were great experiences. But what really happened much later was 
When the war started over in Kosovo, my parish decided to sponsor a family from there to come to the U.S. So this family, I, I didn't even want to do it, but my husband <laughs> volunteered us with these other couples. And so the family lands at the airport with the clothes on their backs. I think they had eight kids, and we shortly found out she was pregnant. They spoke zero English. Albanian, not a real common language in New Mexico, which is where we lived at the time. Right. And I suddenly discovered, I, I picked it up right away. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, I am good at languages. <laughs> and so <laughs> it was it was an incredible thing to be able to just work with them on a daily basis. And, and I thought, see, God knew. Because if I had mm-hmm. not gone in the military, if I had not gone through that whole process, I would have just said, well, I'm not any good at languages. They, they just have to learn English. There, there's nothing we can do. Yeah. And instead, you know, we formed this incredible bond with this family by attempting, you know, to speak their language. So Maria Montessori says that the preparation or said that the preparation for life is indirect. We, we don't know. Mm-hmm. And even though my actual experience of being in the military was not a positive one for me. Um, I am still yeah. a, a very strong supporter of the military for a, a lot of different reasons. Um, mm-hmm. I think for people who do have a gift for languages, that going that route is an incredible opportunity. Boy, I saw so many of my friends come out, they finished their four-year stint, and they went to work in these great jobs where they, you know, the fact that they spoke Japanese or Chinese or Russian was, you know, a huge asset. Sure, yeah. And we do see a lot of Colby families that that pick that route for the military. And I think I think that's good. I think I think the military has become the mission field unfortunately as there've been some changes in things and um it does take a strong faith to do that. Mm-hmm. But I also think that that's something where a lot of young people, particularly young men, might feel called to make that choice. And that can be a very difficult one for parents. They're, they're afraid, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, understandable. And of course, young men are like, I'm invincible. Nothing will happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So then that, that segues into a different conversation probably for you. So that's talking to parents who are Coming to terms with that decision, probably. <laughs> yes, and I yep. and I have had a number of conversations with parents because they're familiar with the military academies. They understand that. They don't often understand some of these options for military intelligence, like the language school. You know, hmm. that is really. I see students that it's like, okay, you're on you're on uh, AP Latin in Colby's online course because you already finished up through Spanish three when you were in eighth grade. Y- you know, you you obviously have some facility for languages. Um, but all in all, I think the military has always been a route for economic advancement. Yeah, they still have the GI Bill. My son-in-law completed his bachelor's degree and his master's degree at no cost to himself while he was on active duty. Wow. And it was a big, it was a big sacrifice, you know, for him and my daughter to go through, but Mm -hmm. that's quite a gift. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Around here, we use the expression, keeping the doors open (laughs) in the family. Like that certainly keeps a lot of doors open that 
that would otherwise be closed if if people were um, needing to finance their their college education right. otherwise um, or whatever further training they were seeking. Mm-hmm. You know, my one of my brother-in-laws is a perfect example. Hated high school, I meaning made it through, but he went in the Navy, boy, as soon as he was out. Mm-hmm. And then after, I think after his first enlistment, he was a Navy corpsman. And they, they offered him an opportunity to go through this special program where he would stay on active duty, he would go through nursing school, you know, become a Navy nurse, and then finish out his enlistment. And the difference in him, he was an excellent student four years later, you know, after high school. Boy, he worked hard at that. And then he went on... Um, he he retired after 24 years in the Navy. He manages a large neonatal uh, intensive care unit out at a hospital in California. I mean, but wow. he wasn't ready at 18. Mm-hmm. And those four years of growth and maturity, all of that put him then in a position. And so that's the other thing to reflect on is that just because college isn't the first thing that's going to happen, you know, the fall after you graduate, doesn't mean it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. It just might take time. So we have that default, like, there's this and then this, but it, it might just be a matter of not yet or mm-hmm. right soon. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, as I shared with you, you know, <laughs> before we started that sometimes taking that, that time off. So I, I went in the guard and then I came back and went to college and then I went active military and then I started going back to school again. But from the time I started going back to college until I actually graduated was 13 years. Yeah. Uh, I went to eight different colleges and universities. Um, mm-hmm. Never lost a credit. That's my claim to fame. Wow. <laughs> Impressive. I was a complete generalist. <laughs> <Quite> a <piece. laughs> I, I never, you know, I always took stuff I knew was accepted, but. Um, Savvy. And then when I decided I, I needed to go to, to grad school, I mean, I, I went at night and I worked full time during the day, but I made it through in three years and, you know. I had a different appreciation mm-hmm. at that point, but I have, I have nephews <laughs> who never went to college, who went into the trades. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them became a pipe fitter and the other one became a, a lineman. And I remember when they told me how much money they made mm-hmm. and I realized I'd made a serious <laughs> miscalculation. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not that I ever felt called to to doing things that work with my hands. I'm terribly clumsy. But um, my mom always wished that she had been born in a time when she could have pursued that and she would have been an electrician. Uh, she taught herself how to wire all of our homes, and she did. She said, you just read the book. And I'm like, yeah, okay. See, this is somebody who has a natural inclination mm-hmm. and who liked working with her hands. And so... That is a great fit then for someone to say, I'm going to pick this, you know, this trade, this vocation, not the religious kind, because I'm going to be really good at it. And I enjoy my work. And there is a lot to be said for a job that you do and you go home and that's it until you go in the next day. Mm -hmm. There certainly is. You know, there's a lot of time to be spent with family. And, um, and I think, you know, come on, Joseph was a carpenter <laughs> and Jesus, you know, <laughs> right. I'm sure apprenticed with him. Mm-hmm. 
And you have to think, God chose that man for a reason, because he could have chosen a rabbi who would have mm-hmm. raised Christ as more of what we think of, you know, the intellectual, the, but he didn't. And so yeah. we need to be careful that we don't um, consider those choices to be lesser. It makes me think of my grandfather when I was, at least when I was a boy, delivered fuel oil and fixed furnaces in rural Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And every single Christmas Eve day, which was when we'd get together with my grandparents, he was gone because somebody's furnace had broken right. or they'd run out of fuel oil. And it's Wisconsin in the winter. Mm-hmm. So it's cold. <laughs> and he would be out there or, you know, finding, going through scrapyards to find old parts because they couldn't really afford to replace their furnace. And right. it was, but it was too old. Now that's service mm-hmm. to our Lord, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so mm-hmm. that has a great amount of dignity. And that, that is lost today, I think. I mean, there's that temptation to say if you don't have that piece of paper, then somehow you failed in a way, but it's not at all, not at all. Well, certainly not. There was a really good reflection from the Bishop of Rock Center, Long Island, over uh, Labor Day, about the intrinsic value of work and the dignity of human beings. And I think it's important, yeah, and, and it, can be, it can be a challenge for um, parents um, and for students who think, well, I, I don't really want to go to college and, you know, maybe they don't f- feel that that's a good decision or that they're allowed to make that decision. And I would never step between um, parents and their child, and, except my grandchildren, then I do. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, for other people, I mean, of course, that's the totally within the, the parents, their, their decision. But I think, you know, I grew up with a lot of farmers and a lot of people that worked very hard their whole lives and the things that they did made an impact in all of our lives and they still do. Um, It's just Mm -hmm. that the majority of us have switched into a lot of white collar work, you know, or blue collar work that's maybe not quite so, um, so hands on. With the state of, of higher education now, the cost of it, the all the logistics of it, what it's like on many college campuses now, I think if, if students are going, but they feel they need to go for some reason, because that's what you do, that's what everyone does, I mean, you finish high school, you go to college, but you don't really know what you want to study there, so I, I mean, I know it was a joke when I was in college, and that was a while ago, that you, know, you change your major a bunch of times, you're going to figure it out as you go along, but these days, that hardly seems prudent to just go and then we'll just wing it for a while and figure this, we'll try this and that. But wow, that could have some uh, pretty significant consequences, I think, to keeping the doors open, as we were just saying, that that could seriously impact those doors being open later, that we would want them to be open for the next phase of life, you know, family life and what comes after that. And that is an important consideration. I've talked to a number of parents who have said, my daughter's going to go to community college. She's going to get an associate's degree in something with some practical application generally because I don't want her burdened with student loan debt. I want her to be able to get married and stay home with her family. I'm like, that's smart. 
Now, if that same girl has a a burning desire and feels totally called to becoming a computer programmer, you know, that's maybe a different discussion. But Mm -hmm. again, that's up to the parents. And, And I think that colleges are in the business of making money. And the, the more that they can sell our culture on the idea that without that piece of paper, as you said, you know, Stephen, it's, it, you're just not worth as much. You know, it used to be much more common. I mean, people got out of high school and they got a job and that was their job. And for a lot of people, for a lot of people, work is exactly biblical. It's a punishment. <laughs> <laughs> that was earned by our first parents and, yeah. and you know that's okay too i mean work is supposed to serve a purpose now that purpose could be personal fulfillment but sometimes we run into problems with that philosophy mm-hmm. but you know if work is intended to provide a home for your family then it has value in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there are very few students who really, uh, in my experience with Colby, directly graduate and go right into the workforce. That's not super common. But it does happen. And some of them, it happens like I do. I've talked to a number of parents. They have a family business. Their kids are working for them at, as soon as it's legal, they're legally old enough, 14 maybe, you know. And yeah. they'll tell me, well, you know, he's going to graduate high school in three years because he's already managing one of our store locations and we really need him to have more time, you know, then (laughs) going to college seems like probably not the best choice. It's delaying these things for at least four years. And, um, but a lot of those kids will also take maybe a, a class on entrepreneurship or on business management or those kinds of things. They see college more is an opportunity to pick and choose what's going to be useful to them. And I think that's a nice approach. Um, doesn't get you a degree, <laughs> but maybe you don't need one. It seems certainly to be something with this current generation. And I, my daughter just went off to a Catholic college, but um, even her friend, her and her friends would, would say kind of like, is it really worth it? She knew that where she wants to end up requires a college degree. So she's going to have to check that box off one way or another. So she was picking the college she liked best. But for a lot of people, they say, if if I know what I need to get, I can get online. I can watch these great, you know, if I need this skill, I can go and select that. And, you know, of course, a great school, a great teacher orders things in the proper way and such. But as far as filling in those gaps or filling those little pieces, there's a lot of tools out there that don't involve $30,000 in tuition every year. Right. So. Yeah, right. I said all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm aware of one um, school in California. I think it's called Desert Springs. And um, at the time, it was limited just to young men, maybe 10 or 12 at a time. It was a working ranch. So... They worked on the ranch and they spent their evenings discussing philosophy and, you know, all of these things because they were actually earning credits towards a college degree in this, in this environment. And I thought that is something Catholics should be looking into. Mm -hmm. 
Well, in fact, I knew someone who did try to do this. and They were up in South Dakota and they started a bakery. And so they took in like probably about four to eight young people, you know, housed them and they worked in the bakery and then they did this, the school at night, but you know, smaller, they needed a bigger area to draw from is pretty much what happened. So they tried it for a few years and then it just didn't go like they had hoped. But I think some of those things that give students the opportunity to have um, practical skills and and learn important things about life and how to take care of things and still also cultivate the mind. I think that's really the ideal. And I, I wish we had more of those kinds of things available. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, a few years ago, I was thinking, Oh, I need to move towards starting up a school, a college mm-hmm. like, like that. And I thought I must be, you know, I'm thinking of these great new innovative ideas. And then, over the last year or so, it's like, well, there's a place in Grand Rapids where they're trying to teach young men skills while giving them an education. And they're in, mm-hmm. in New Mexico as well, yes. a school I see that they're, they're starting up. To. Yes. So this is, I think everybody sees this, this desperate need to provide real skills that you can provide for a family mm-hmm. or for to, to live life, but also to incorporate these great truths of the Catholic faith of the, of the world and yeah. the, of our faith particularly, though. But uh, so I'm encouraged by this. Now we just have to get people working together <laughs> to get it exactly. in, in place, right? Yeah. This particular moment in time seems to be perhaps an opportunity for more of those conversations to be a little more widespread, that that these opportunities are exist and that there need to be more of them. And I think a lot now of our kids being the ages they are, as they're starting to think about life after Colby, that when they have their families, if that's what they're called to, what that will look like for them based on the choices they make for what they do after Colby. When you said that, Bonnie, I was thinking, you know, one of the things parents worry about so much, especially with that first child, is, you know, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to destroy their mm-hmm. lives. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the, the truth is, well... We do make mistakes as parents. We cannot avoid it. And um, right. we, I think the best we can hope for is that we don't make intentional errors for them, you right. know? Um, yeah. but, but I think that then still we must remember that God can bring good out of all things. You know, mm-hmm. my mother mm-hmm. thought that the military for me was a, a really an excellent thing. You know, I, I would honestly beg to differ. It, I was too timid. I spent a lot of time being terrified that I'd forget to salute someone or do something. Um, but it still worked out into being a good thing for me overall. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think that that's all parents. We all want we want for our kids what we didn't get, right? We want, we didn't have it perfect, mm-hmm. but we want it perfect for them. Well, of course, that doesn't, sure. doesn't work. <laughs> it's so fortunate for us that in a, in a Catholic marriage, we have God walking with us, right? Yes. So we, he knows that we're imperfect mm-hmm. and he still gives us these wonderful children that he puts in our protection, but he doesn't make us do it on our own. Right. So yes, we will we will make mistakes and sometimes big mistakes but part of that is i mean our salvation as parents as well is tied up with these children and their salvation mm-hmm. too so i mean but it's it's nice to know it's not 
it's not all on our shoulders. That's right. <laughs> We've got right, somebody yeah. to help us. Yeah. And after a certain point, kids receive First Holy Communion, you know, the age of reason. And so at some point, some of those decisions are theirs. Yeah. And some of those decisions are poor, d- just like our own, you know. Mm-hmm. So we offer guidance and lots of prayers and and then we trust that god loves them more than we do but i yeah i think on your first one when i talk to parents who are like oh this is my fifth kid you know their attitude is just very different they're generally way more open to oh yeah well this one wants to do this okay you know um the first Mm -hmm. one is generally not like that (laughs) yeah I see what you're saying there. We're at that point here where I can, I can see that even just in the household, but the decisions we make from the oldest to the youngest. I always enjoy at the end of every school year, seeing where the Colby graduates are headed after school. And many of them are discerning vocations to religious life as well. Yes. How does that conversation tend to go for you? So that this past year in particular was very interesting because uh, because as a result of COVID, we had a number of, of students who, you know, hadn't considered homeschooling before, um, many of them from Catholic brick and mortar schools. And one family in particular, the son enrolled as a senior, and I had a, a couple conversations with him while he was in and, and is still in this discernment process about becoming a priest. And that was really incredible to me because I've known other um, students from Colby who have gone into religious life, but this one was, was much closer in just in terms of he'd gone to a Catholic school and he told me, he said, none of my counselors ever asked me to really consider what God was calling me to do. They just told me about all the great colleges I could get into. And I thought, so that's, that's concerning, you know? And then years ago, um, shortly after I started at, at Colby, so maybe in 2006 or seven, one of the young girls that I worked with who was in junior high, then she went on and entered religious life. And so I had just talked to her mom the other day and she's like, oh yeah, Sister Philomena, you know, said to say hi. And I'm thinking, that is just the neatest thing, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think there too, for parents, that, that can be, that can be a challenge because you're giving up a good, which is, these potential grandchildren that every parent longs to have (laughs) for another good, Mm -hmm. which is dedicating one's life to serving the Lord in that particular way. And so I I can see that. I can understand that um, bittersweetness to it. Mm -hmm. But we do always have vocations. And now starting, uh, I think this last year, Colby hosted a vocations week Mm -hmm. and we're having one this year. And so it's really exciting to see that. And I think those kinds of vocations, we're seeing more and more coming out of homeschooling families. I think it's an environment that tends to really foster the possibility. I think homeschooling families tend to be more open to that because, well, because you're, you're living a different kind of life. Um, Mm -hmm. And so like that young man told me, you know, here he went to a very good uh, Catholic school. I mean, he thought it was really good, 
but no one ever talked to him about becoming a priest. And he might discern later that that's not the path he's called to, but but he's at least exploring it now. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's something that I definitely encourage parents to be open to. And yet, you know, again, acknowledging that, well, just because a young man goes to seminary or a young woman goes to live in a religious community, that doesn't, it's not a done deal. You know, there's still discernment going on. And so the parents have time to, to adjust to that. Sure. But I think it would be a little um, unnerving in some ways. <laughs> it would take some time to to come to terms with that. I think we had a, a the the pleasure of visiting with two religious sisters during Vocations Week last year. Um, on episode thirty two of the Colby Cast, it's called Reflections of His Light, and I'll link it in the show notes as well. Sister Margaret Mary and Sister Anne spoke with us. They both studied with Colby in their high school years. It was great to visit with them and hear them. They were so joyful and just beautiful. And what a, what a pleasure that conversation was. It was neat, neat to hear. Yeah. I think it's unfortunate when some children, they don't even see nuns or religious brothers. They see their priest at mass, and but, but that's it, you mm-hmm. know. So I love the vocations week that Colby does. And I would like to see us do something comparable, Stephen, I'm going to mention this to you, about um, uh, some kind of a career discernment week that mm-hmm. that doesn't focus just on colleges, because we do have college representatives that come in and do virtual visits, but some, some other things, you know. I mean, let's get Mike Rowe to come and talk to Colby students. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Um, I'm sure military recruiters would love to come in and talk to Colby students. That wouldn't be any problem at all. But, you know, to help to help expand our offerings, maybe, so that parents get more information. Because usually, usually that makes me feel more comfortable, and I bet most parents. So I go, okay, I have more information about this now, so now I can contemplate this a little more easily. Yeah, it'd be great to get that together and maybe get some of those stories of people who have done things in a different way, you know, mm-hmm. and to kind of navigate. So if I have this interest, how do I go about yeah. um, what's the right path and what's the best mm-hmm. path? Mm-hmm. And even just allowing for that space to, to sort through and even to, to take that time, that grace period, that's the term I would use for our first year of homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Just going to give myself and us the time to figure it out. That can apply just as well to this sense of. I have this idea or I've discerned that this is the direction I'm being called. I don't have the complete picture yet. Not that we ever do, but <laughs> it's not really in focus yet at all, but I need some room to figure it out just so to have that. That would be, that would be neat. That'd be cool to see. Yeah. yeah. I remember your first year of homeschooling. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I remember. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> seared in our yeah. memories <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no it's you know and and really that's that experience that you had that grace year I mean really that's a wonderful term for it and maybe we should do away with the whole gap year and we should call it a grace year you know yeah. a year for students to discern what they're being called to mm-hmm. and and not that mentality like you had talked about earlier Bonnie that you know we can't no you can be anything you want to be no you can't <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> this is <Actually> crazy. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but you can be what God is calling you to be, mm-hmm. what God has gifted you to be. I mean, I, I used to love to make sports analogies, especially when talking to parents. And but now they're so old because I don't I don't follow sports <laughs> anymore. But uh, Muggsy Bogues, who's like five five or five six and played in the NBA. I mean, come on, nobody looked at him and said, "Oh, you're going to be a basketball star." <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, but God, God gifts us and he calls us. And if we answer that call and we, we make the best use of what he's given us, then we're going to bring glory to him. And that's, that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll be fulfilled in mm-hmm. what we're doing, not personal fulfillment, but fulfilled, <laughs> yep. you know, Christ says, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. Yes. Oh yeah. So in our conversation with Everett, I was teasing him at my surprise when he mentioned the idea of students talking directly with advisors, how it surprised me the first time he recommended that it caught me kind of unaware. I was like, what, really? So how does that typically look for you, Celeste, setting up conversations with students around this time? Do you get these conversations going with them and their parents? So one of the things... And this has been really sort of a, a, a change at Colby over the years, because when I first came to work at Colby, uh, we did not talk to students. We were very mindful of making sure parents were there. Um, and, and now, really, parents have changed. Uh, they're more, you know, well, would you talk to my you know, son or talk to my daughter? So especially as a student in their senior year, it's very common anymore for the student to interact directly with the advisor for younger students, you know, ninth, 10th grade, I think doing a, um, a putting the on speaker so that the parent is, is present. Um, Mm -hmm. I had one uncomfortable situation where an appointment was scheduled with me. I assumed it was with the parent and I called and it was the student. And I said, well, you know, are your mom and dad joining us? No, they're not. I'm thinking, okay, because mm-hmm. I already knew the student was in disagreement with the parent about some things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I didn't, I didn't really want to wade into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I prefer to have the parent present. I think full disclosure, I'm not that child's parent and, uh, you know, I'm certainly not going to override their parent about anything, but I think having a joint conversation can be very helpful. Um, Sometimes I don't know it and I'm, I'm advocating exactly what the parent said, but the kid had rejected it, you know, previously, or sometimes I'm coming in on the side of the the student for something, but I don't know that either. Mm -hmm. And, I think that's that's fine. You know, they get more input, and then I think it is a good growth experience for students to start in this really very safe environment yeah. of of um, being able to articulate some of their thoughts and concerns. Um, it's a good skill to develop, and that is an Ignatian uh, skill, uh, an Ignatian point that we want. You know, public speaking. So learning how to interact with an adult that they're not related to or that they haven't met personally, all of those kinds of things. I, th- I think it's useful for students to do it. Mm-hmm. I just prefer that their parents also be present. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. It's always fun when you get an email back from the from the parent saying, you told them exactly what I said, but now they listened. You know, I mean, isn't that, you know, it's like, yeah, somebody else tells you and then it's all great. But 
What do you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. But it should start, you know, I think students in ninth grade should start taking a, a fair amount of responsibility for uh, a number of things about their homeschooling. They should be consulted about the courses they want to take. Um, I'm not saying they get to decide, but I'm saying I think it's important to allow them the opportunity to make a reasoned argument for why they want X over Y. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's good for them to do. And it's our role as, as parents to help our kids make these decisions. But sometimes we can let them do something we know is not going to benefit them because that in itself is a learning experience. And so some yeah. parents choose to do that. And I think that's fine. That's their prerogative too. Yep. Very instructive. Yeah. That goes better for some than others, right? That's kind of how we need to do these things sometimes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Some parents want a, a checklist. And um, usually if I'm the advisor for that family, I tell them right from the get-go, that's not how I operate, so I might make you uncomfortable because I'm going to suggest, let's do this and this and this and this. (laughs) Um, But sometimes it's the student. You know, the parent is very much go with the flow and the student's like, they're firstborn and I need it all right here in front of me and we got to do it this way. (laughs) So... um, so it's, it's good to get a little feel for both the student and the parent so that I feel like I can make better suggestions about curriculum choices because I have a little yeah. idea. Um, and like I said, when they're about 16, their personality is pretty well set. So, you know, as a sophomore, I might say, well, go ahead and go to the ONET website and take that test and tell me what your results are and let's talk about that you know when you say you would like to be uh, an astronaut but everything you picked says you'd really rather be a carpenter you know I mean (laughs) but it just kind of of helping them get beyond the I can do anything I want to do kind of thing if I just try hard enough at least likely not going to be happy in your life if you if you fight that uphill battle and, and focus on Right. Focus on all your attention on your weaknesses rather than those strengths and your interests mm-hmm. that you have. So, mm-hmm. one of my favorite authors, Peter Drucker, always talks about um, make your strengths effective. And as long as your weaknesses aren't getting in your way, everybody's got weaknesses. So, just again, but that's just essentially saying do what God made you to do. You know, exactly. that's again. Mm-hmm. We should get t-shirts and buttons made, you know, do what God made you to do. I like it. Well, so are there any considerations to be keeping in mind as students are approaching the end of their Colby days, um, if they've discerned that college isn't on the horizon? I think that they still need to um, commit themselves to doing the best job they can through high school. They shouldn't see high school as just a stepping stone, like you were saying, Bonnie, to the next thing. It's like, no, high school has value in and of itself, especially, let's be honest, a Colby high school education. You know, when you get a Catholic classical education, you've got great stuff in there. Mm -hmm. So don't sell yourself short in that time. You know, make the most of it. And then make a plan. You know, if you're not going to college in the fall and you're not going in the military, you don't have to make a plan, then they'll, they'll make one for you. So... You know, that, that's a little easier, but it needs to be something that's that's planned out. And I think 
parents and students should have a number of frank conversations about that. What what's it going to look like, um, and be evaluating it, you know, six months down the road, um, and and what's going to be next the next year. Just okay. like I mean, really, college should be approached that way too, uh, on a probably mm-hmm. on a year by year basis, but less so. I think it doesn't really happen because it's like okay, here's four years this chunk of time, but with someone who says, I'm not going to go into college, uh, I'm not really sure what I want to do. Okay. How are you going to find out what you want to do? Mm-hmm. Cause you really need to know that. Well, and Stephen, like you mentioned earlier, encouraging students to do something like the, the couple things we talked about, the Myers-Briggs and the ONET and the Highlands aptitude battery, is that what it was called? Ability, ability battery. Ability battery yeah. You know, I mean, those kinds of things are really useful tools for them. Yeah, I love the idea of making a plan, and it's it goes along with like companies that are successful. They, I think one of uh, Jim Collins's terms is you fire a lot of bullets and then get ready with cannonballs when something hits. So okay. you just try a lot of things that I mean, and but plan it out. You know, don't mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. don't just say, well, I'm I'm going to go work at the grocery store, not sure what I want to do, and get kind of in a rut. But I'm going to do that, and I'm going to prepare for the next level by taking a class here, or I'm going to study this, or I'm going to get this certificate, or mm-hmm. you know, just start checking off some of the boxes and say, no, didn't like that, didn't like that. And um, you gain valuable experience, and as Catholics, it gives you a, oftentimes gives you a chance to evangelize, you know, by being mm-hmm. a, a happy worker. You know, so. Lots yeah. of great opportunities, but I love that idea of being really deliberate about it and having a plan for, for what's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You can have your Venn diagram going. Some stuff's going to mm-hmm. land outside. Some's going to land mm-hmm. somewhere mm-hmm. on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. You guys come up with so many resources. Uh, I was thinking as we were preparing for this episode, I think I may have mentioned this. There, The document you, you have drawn up on career guidance that you work from when, when you're working with uh, 11th graders, I think you said mm-hmm. there, that along with a section in the Colby resource guide that as part of the welcome packet, I think, you know, these things, they come to us and I save it all and I print it and I organize it. And then I, I read it or, you know, to varying degrees. And then I go on to whatever, and I'm, you know, onto the next thing. And then this comes up again, like, Oh, I recognize that. Oh yes. And how did I forget about that? So it's nice to, when we get to the point where the rate of information being supplied is kind of slowing down a little bit where we can go back and go in a little deeper and, and read back through that for really greater uh, understanding. So I was happy to see that again. And so for families who are new to Colby or not new to Colby, been around a while, the welcome packet contains a number of links and resources, including this program support guide. I think I called it the wrong name. The program support guide, which has a whole section on discerning a path after high school including college and non-college, many of the interest inventories and ways to sort out where to go after Colby, what happens next, and then interacting with Celeste and the other advisors to get some career guidance. Uh, These go hand in hand. So is there anything you'd like to add, Celeste? One of the things that I would encourage parents to do is starting perhaps in 10th grade, but for sure by 11th, do a non-academic elective called career 
guidance with your student. Hmm. You know, assign them research on that uh, list of resources. Okay. Okay. So this week you're going to research this this website and this, you know, how to look for scholarships. And on this one, you're going to look into one of the military academies or on this one, you're going to, you know, that's how they find out. And we don't actually have an an academic uh, course like that, but it can just be that simple, Mm -hmm. you know, just give them a pass fail grade and make them do some research that it's their future, Mm -hmm. you know, um, they need to they need to have some skin in the game <laughs> yep for sure and if they need ideas about how to do that they can they could make an appointment with me because I love career counseling <laughs> <laughs> I'd be happy to recommend all kinds of things <laughs> sounds good you'd be very fortunate Stephen do you have anything to add to this just that, well, other than Celeste and I, it sounds like we have a lot of work to do if we're going to put together this, uh, right. our, our type of extra locations we right. share. <laughs> yeah. Get cracking on that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been fun visiting with you again, Celeste. Stephen, I'm so glad you joined this conversation. It's really added a lot. Thank you both so much. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks, Thank you, Bonnie. Celeste. It was great. Thanks, Stephen. A lot of fun. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Colby Cast in your favorite podcast app to make sure you don't miss an episode. And we'd love to hear from you. So feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.